okay, this is chronic kidney disease. Okay, so end-stage kidney disease, or ESKD, is also known as chronic kidney disease, um, is when a patient has sustained enough kidney damage to require kidney replacement therapy on a permanent basis. This is the fifth or final stage of chronic kidney disease, also referred to as end-stage kidney disease. So as kidney function declines, the end products of protein metabolism, normally excreted in the urine, accumulate in the blood. Uremia develops and adversely affects every system in the body. The greater the buildup of waste products, the more pronounced the symptoms. The rate of declining kidney function and progression of end-stage kidney disease is related to the underlying disorder, the urinary excretion of protein, and the presence of hypertension. The disease tends to progress more rapidly in patients who excrete significant amounts of protein or who have elevated blood pressure than in those without these conditions. Cardiovascular disease is the predominant cause of death in patients with end-stage renal disease. Peripheral neuropathy, a disorder of the peripheral nervous system, is present in some patients. Patients complain of severe pain and discomfort. Restless leg syndrome and burning feet can occur in early stage of uremic peripheral neuropathy. The precise mechanisms for many of these systemic signs and symptoms have not been identified. However, it is generally thought that the accumulation of uremic waste products is the probable cause. As the GFR decreases due to non-functioning glomeruli, the creatinine clearance decreases, while the serum creatinine and beta uh, and bun levels increase, serum creatinine is a more sensitive indicator of kidney function than bun. The bun is affected not only by kidney disease, but also by protein intake in the diet, catabolism, tissue and RBC breakdown, parenteral nutrition, and medications such as corticosteroids. Some patients retain sodium in water, increasing the risk for edema, heart failure, and hypertension. Hypertension may also result from activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone axis and the concomitant increased aldosterone secretion. Other patients have the tendency to lose sodium and run the risk of developing hypotension and hypovolemia. Vomiting and diarrhea may cause sodium water depletion, which worsens the uremic state. Metabolic acidosis occurs in end-stage kidney disease because the kidneys are unable to excrete increased loads of acid. Decreased acid secretion results from the inability of kidney tubules to excrete ammonia and to reabsorb sodium bicarb. There is also decreased excretion of phosphates and other organic acids. Anemia develops as a result of inadequate erythropoietin production, the shortened lifespan of RBCs, nutritional deficiencies, and the patient's tendency to bleed, particularly from the GI tract. Erythropoietin, a substance normally produced by the kidneys, stimulates bone marrow to produce RBCs. In end-stage kidney disease, erythropoietin production decreases and profound anemia results, producing fatigue, angina, and shortness of breath. Assessing for end-stage kidney disease, we want to be alert for the following signs and symptoms. Neuro, weakness and fatigue, confusion, inability to concentrate, disorientation, tremors, seizures. I don't know what that says. Asterixis, uh, restlessness of legs, burning of soles of feet, behavioral changes. Integumentary, gray bronze skin color, dry flaky skin, pruritus, ecchymosis, purpura, thin, brittle nails, coarse, thinning hair. Cardiovascular, hypertension, pitting edema in the feet, hands, or sacrum. Uh, periorbital edema, pericardial friction rub, um, engorged neck vessels, or engorged neck veins, pericarditis, pericardial effusion, pericardial tamponade, hyperkalemia, and hyperlipidemia, pulmonary crackles, thick tenacious sputum, depressed cough reflex, pleuritic pain, shortness of breath, tachypnea, Kussmaul-type respirations, and tinnitus.
GI, ammonia odor to breath, um, metallic taste, mouth ulcerations and bleeding, anorexia, nausea and vomiting, hiccups, constipation or diarrhea, and bleeding from the GI tract. Hematologic anemia, thrombocytopenia, reproductive amenorrhea to testicular atrophy, infertility, decreased libido, and musculoskeletal, muscle cramps, loss of muscle strength, kidney osteodystrophy, bone pain, bone fractures, and foot drop. Serum calcium and phosphate levels have a reciprocal relationship in the body as one increases, the other decreases. With a decrease in filtration through the glomerulus of the kidney, there is an increase in the serum phosphate level and a reciprocal decrease in the serum calcium level. This decreased serum calcium level causes increased secretion of parathyroid hormone from the parathyroid glands. As a result, calcium leaves the bone, often producing bone changes and bone disease, as well as calcification of major blood vessels in the body. Potential complications include hyperkalemia due to decreased excretion, metabolic acidosis, catabolism, and excessive intake via diet, medications, and fluids, pericarditis, pericardial effusion, and pericardial tamponade due to the retention of uremic waste products and inadequate dialysis, hypertension due to sodium and water retention and malfunction of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, anemia due to decreased erythropoietin production, decreased RBC lifespan, bleeding in the GI tract from irritating toxins and ulcer formation, and blood loss during hemodialysis, and bone disease and metastatic and vascular calcifications due to retention of phosphorus, low serum calcium levels, abnormal vitamin D metabolism, and elevated aluminum levels. The goal of management is to maintain kidney function and homeostasis for as long as possible. Complications can be prevented or delayed by administering prescribed phosphate-binding agents, calcium supplements, antihypertensive and cardiac medications, anticonvulsant medications, and erythropoietin. Hyperphosphatemia and hypocalcemia are treated with medications that bind dietary phosphorus in the GI tract. Binders such as calcium carbonate or calcium acetate are prescribed, but there is a risk of hypercalcemia. If calcium is high or the calcium phosphorus product exceeds 55 mg per deciliter, a polymeric phosphate binder such as sevelomer hydrochloride, also known as Renegal, may be prescribed. Magnesium-based antacids are avoided to prevent magnesium toxicity. Hypertension is managed by intravascular volume control and a variety of antihypertensive medications. Heart failure and pulmonary edema may also require treatment with fluid restriction, low-sodium diets, diuretic agents, ionotropic agents such as digoxin or dobutamine, and dialysis. The metabolic acidosis of end-stage kidney disease usually produces no symptoms and requires no treatment. However, sodium bicarb supplements or dialysis may be needed to correct the acidosis if it causes symptoms. Um, anticonvulsant agents and so neurologic abnormalities may occur. Um, so the patient must be observed for early evidence of slight twitching, headache, delirium, or seizure activities. If seizures occur, the onset of the seizure is recorded along with the type, duration, and general effect on the patient. Physician notified immediately IV diazepam, Valium, or phenytoin, Dilantin, is usually administered to control seizures. The side rails of the bed should be raised and padded to protect the patient. The nursing management of the patient with seizures is discussed in Chapter 63. Um... Erythropoietin, anemia associated with end-stage kidney disease is treated with recombinant human erythropoietin, also known as EPREX. Patients with anemia 
um, hemoglobin less than 110 grams per liter, present with nonspecific symptoms such as malaise, general fatigue, uh, and decreased activity tolerance. Erythropoietin therapy is initiated to achieve hemoglobin level of 110 to 120. Management involves adjustment of heparin to prevent clotting of the lines during hemodialysis treatments, frequent monitoring of hemoglobin, and periodic assessment of serum iron and transfer. Serum iron and transferrin levels. Patients' blood pressure and serum potassium level are monitored to detect hypertension and increase in serum potassium levels, which may occur with therapy and the increasing red blood cell mass. The occurrence of hypertension requires initiation adjustment of the patient's antihypertensive therapy. Hypertension that cannot be controlled is a contraindication to recombinant erythropoietin therapy. Nutritional therapy includes careful regulation of protein intake, fluid intake to balance fluid losses, sodium intake to balance sodium losses, and some restriction of potassium. At the same time, adequate caloric intake and vitamin supplementation must be ensured. Protein is restricted because urea, uric acid, and organic acids, the breakdown products of dietary and tissue proteins, accumulate rapidly in the blood when there is impaired kidney clearance. The allowed protein must be high biologic value, so dairy products, eggs, and meats. High biologic value proteins are those that compete, complete proteins and supply the essential amino acids necessary for growth and cell repair. Usually, fluid allowance per day is five to 600 mils more than the previous day's 24-hour urine output. Sodium polystyrene sulfonate, also known as K-exalate, is a cation exchange resin which may be needed for acute hyperkalemia. Um, patient with increasing symptoms of kidney failure is referred to dialysis and transplantation center early in the course of progressive kidney disease. Nursing care is directed toward assessing fluid status and identifying potential sources of imbalance, implementing a dietary program to ensure proper nutritional intake, and promoting positive feelings by encouraging increased self-care and greater independence. It is extremely important to provide explanations and information to the patient and family concerning end-stage kidney disease, treatment options, and potential complications. A great deal of emotional support is needed by patient and family because of the numerous changes experienced. Specific interventions along with rational and evaluation criteria are presented in more detail coming up. Part of this is educating uh, the patient and family to notify the healthcare provider when the following symptoms occur. So worsening signs and symptoms of kidney failure, which is nausea, vomiting, change in usual urine output, if any, ammonia, odor on breath, signs and symptoms of hyperkalemia, so muscle weakness, diarrhea, abdominal cramps, and signs and symptoms of access problems, so clotted fistula or graft or infection. Diabetes, hypertension, chronic glomerulonephritis, interstitial nephritis, and urinary tract obstruction are the causes of end-stage kidney disease in the older adult. Signs and symptoms of kidney disease in older adults are often nonspecific. The occurrence of symptoms of other disorders, such as heart failure and dementia, can mask the symptoms of kidney disease and delay or prevent diagnosis and treatment. Patients often develop signs and symptoms of nephrotic syndrome, such as edema and proteinuria. Okay, this is nursing intervention. So, excess fluid volume. The goal is to maintain the ideal body weight. So, you're going to assess fluid status. Daily weight, ins and outs, skin trigger, presence of edema, distribution, distension of neck veins, blood pressure, pulse rate and rhythm, respiratory rate and effort, limit fluid intake to prescribed volume, identify potential sources of fluids and medications and fluids, use to take or administer medications, oral and intravenous foods, um, 
and then explain to the patient and family the rationale for the fluid restriction, assist the patient to cope with the discomforts resulting from fluid restriction, and provide or encourage frequent oral hygiene. Nursing priority, nutrition, goal, maintenance of adequate nutritional intake. You're going to assess nutritional status. That's weight changes in lab values, specifically serum lights, bun, creatinine, protein, transferrin, and iron. Assess the patient's nutritional dietary patterns. So you're going to do a diet history, food preferences, calorie counts. You're going to assess for factors contributing to altered nutritional intake. So anorexia, nausea, vomiting. Um, diet, is it unpalatable to the patient? Are they depressed? Is there a lack of understanding of dietary restrictions? Um, is there stomatitis? Provide patients food preferences within dietary restrictions. Promote intake of high biologic value protein foods. Um, encourage high calorie, low protein, low sodium, low potassium snacks between meals. Um, alter the schedule of medications so that they're not given immediately before meals. Explain the rationale for dietary restrictions and the relationship to the kidney decrease and increased urea and creatinine levels. Provide written lists of foods allowed and suggestions for improving their taste without use of sodium or potassium. Weigh the patient daily. Assess for evidence of inadequate protein intake, such as edema formation, delayed wound healing, and decreased serum albumin levels. Provide pleasant surroundings at mealtimes. Nursing priority, patient education. Goal, increase knowledge about condition and related treatment. So you're going to assess understanding of the cause of kidney disease, consequences of kidney disease, and its treatment. Um, so the cause of the patient's kidney disease, the meaning of the disease, the understanding of the function, the relationship of the fluid and dietary restrictions to the kidney disease, the rationale for treatment. You're going to provide an explanation of the kidney function and consequences of kidney disease at the patient's level of understanding and guided by the patient's readiness to learn. You're going to assist the patient to identify ways to incorporate changes related to the illness and its treatment into lifestyle. You're going to provide oral and written information as appropriate about kidney function and failure, fluid and dietary restrictions, meds, reportable problems, signs and symptoms, follow-up schedule, community resources, and treatment options. Nursing priority activity and mobility. Goal, participation in activity with tolerance. Um, so you're going to assess factors contributing to activity intolerance, fatigue, anemia, fluid and electrolyte imbalances, retention of waste products, depression. You're going to promote independence in self-care activities as tolerated, assistive fatigued. You're going to encourage alternating activity with rest, and you're going to encourage the patient to rest after dialysis treatment. Nursing priority, low self-esteem and body image. Goal, improve self-esteem. Assess the patient's and family's responses and responses and reactions to the illness and treatment. Assess relationship of patient and significant family members. Assess usual coping patterns of patient and family members. Encourage open discussion of concerns about changes produced by the disease and treatment. Role changes, changes in lifestyle, changes in occupation, sexual changes, dependence on health care. Um, you're going to explore alternate ways of sexual expression other than sexual intercourse, and you're going to discuss role of giving and receiving love, warmth, and affection. So, collaborative problems, hyperkalemia, pericarditis, pericardial infusion, and pericardial tamponade, hypertension, anemia, bone disease, metabolic conditions, um, calcification, sorry. Um, goal is absence of complications. So, hyperkalemia, you're going to monitor serum potassium. You're going to assess patient for muscle weakness, diarrhea, ECG changes. 
pericarditis, pericardial infusion, and pericardial tamponade. You're going to assess patient for fever, chest pain, pericardial friction rub, signs of pericarditis, and if present, notify the primary provider. If patient has pericarditis, assess for following every four hours. Paradoxical pulse greater than 10 millimeters of mercury, extreme hypotension, weaker absent peripheral pulses, altered level of consciousness, jugular vein distension. Prepare patient for echo um, to aid in diagnosis of pericardial infusion, effusion or cardiac tamponade. If cardiac tamponade develops, prepare patient for emergency pericardiocentesis. Hypertension, monitor and record blood pressure as indicated, administer antihypertensive medication, encourage adherence to dietary and fluid restriction therapy, and instruct the patient to report signs and symptoms of fluid overload, vision changes, headaches, edema, or seizures. Anemia, you're going to monitor the RBC, hemoglobin, and hematocrit. Administer meds prescribed, including iron and folic acid supplements, um, apogen, and multivitamins. Avoid drawing unnecessary blood specimens. Educate patient to prevent bleeding and avoid vigorous nose blowing and contact sports. Um, the use of a soft toothbrush administer blood component therapy as indicated. Bone disease and metastatic calcifications. Administer the following medications as prescribed. So phosphate binders, calcium supplements, vitamin D supplements. Monitor serum lab values as indicated. So calcium, phos, aluminum levels. Report abnormal findings to primary provider and assist the patient with an exercise program. So vascular access is needed for dialysis, and there are several types of access available. So the first is vascular access devices. <clears throat> um, it's achieved by inserting a double lumen, non-cuffed, large bore catheter into the subclavian, internal jugular, or femoral vein by the physician. The main risks are hematoma, pneumothorax, infection, thrombosis of the subclavian vein, inadequate flow. Double lumen cuffed catheters may also be inserted, usually either by a surgeon or interventional radiologist, into the internal jugular vein of the patient. And because these are cuffs, uh, cuffed, the insertion site heals, sealing the wound and reducing the risk of ascending infection. They are safe for long-term use. Preferred method of permanent access is arteriovenous fistula, AVF which is created surgically usually in the forearm by joining or anastomosing an artery to a vein, either side-to-side -side or end-to-side. -side. Needles are inserted into the vessel to obtain blood flow adequate to pass through the dialyzer. The arterial segment of the fistula is used for arterial flow to the dialyzer, and the venous segment for... <coughs> pardon me. And the venous segment for reinfusion of the dialyzed blood. This access will need time, two to three months, to mature before it can be used. As the AVF matures, the venous segment dilates due to the increased blood flow coming directly from the artery. Once sufficiently dilated, it will then accommodate two large bore 14, 15, or 16 gauge needles that are inserted for each dialysis treatment. The patient is encouraged to perform hand exercises to increase the size of these vessels, squeezing a rubber ball for forearm fistulas to accommodate the large bore needles. Once established, the access has the longest useful life and thus is the best option for vascular access for the patient requiring ongoing hemodialysis. Then we have an arteriovenous graft, which can be created by subcutaneously interposing a biologic, semi-biologic, or synthetic graft material between an artery and a vein. Usually a graft is created when the patient's vessels are not suitable for creation of an 
atriovenous fistula, patients with compromised vascular systems from diabetes, for example, will require a graft because their native vessels are not suitable for creation of an AVF. Grafts are usually placed in the arm, but may be placed in the thigh or chest area. Stenosis, infection, and thrombosis are the most common complications that result in loss of this access. It is not at all uncommon to see um, dialysis patient with numerous old or non-functioning accesses present on their arms. The patient is asked to identify which is the current access in use, and it is checked carefully for the presence of a brewery and thrill. Um, extremity with vascular access is not to be used for measuring blood pressure or for obtaining blood specimens. Tight dressings, restraints, or jewelry over the vascular access must be avoided as well. Complications of hemodialysis. Um, lipid metabol metabolism, so hypertriglyceridemia, are accentuated and contribute to cardiovascular complications. Heart failure, coronary heart disease, angina, stroke, and peripheral vascular insufficiency may occur and can incapacitate the patient. Cardiovascular disease remains the leading cause of death in patients receiving dialysis. Other complications include shortness of breath, um, hypotension, nausea, vomiting, diaphoresis, tachycardia, and dizziness, painful muscle cramping, um, exsanguination may occur in if bloodlines separate or dialysis needle becomes dislodged, dysrhythmias may result from electrolyte and pH changes and removal of antiarrhythmic medications. Air embolism is rare but can occur if air enters the vascular system. Chest pain may occur in patients with anemia or arteriosclerotic heart disease. Dialysis disequilibrium results from cerebral fluid shifts. Signs and symptoms include headache, nausea, and vomiting, restlessness. Decreased level of consciousness and seizures. It is more likely to occur in acute renal failure or when bun levels are very high, exceeding 54. And then complications of peritoneal dialysis are peritonitis, leakage, and bleeding. Long-term complications, hypertriglyceridemia, um, atherogenesis, um, hypertension. Other complications include abdominal hernias, um, increased intra-abdominal pressure, low back pain, anorexia. Types of peritoneal dialysis are acute intermittent peritoneal dialysis, um, which in which um, indications for that are uremic signs and symptoms, so nausea, vomiting, fatigue, altered mental status, fluid overload, acidosis, hyperkalemia. Um, and then we also have continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis, which is performed at home by the patient or trained caregiver. Um, and the procedure allows the patient to uh, have reasonable freedom and control of daily activities, but requires a serious commitment to be successful. And there's also continuous cyclic peritoneal dialysis, which uses a machine called a cycler to provide the exchanges. It is programmed as to how much fluid to use and how long and how many exchanges need to be done. Um, since it's programmed, it keeps track of the total amounts removed and will sound an alarm if limits are not met. Combines overnight intermittent peritoneal dialysis with a prolonged dwell time during the day. Peritoneal catheter is connected to a cycler machine every evening, usually just before the patient goes to sleep for the night. In the morning, the patient disconnects from the cycler, sometimes um, dialysate 
is left in the abdominal cavity for a longer dwell cycle. The day exchange is drained during the day either by using a Y set or reattaching to the cycler. This process is done every day to achieve effects of dialysis required. Clinical manifestations of chronic kidney disease. This is for pediatrics. So early signs, loss of normal energy, increased fatigue on exertion, pallor, which is subtle and may not be noticed, and elevated blood pressure sometimes. As the disease progresses, you're going to get a decreased appetite, especially at breakfast, less interest in normal activities, increased or decreased urine output with compensatory intake of fluid, pallor, which is more evident, and sallow, which is a muddy appearance of the skin. Child may develop headache, muscle cramps, nausea. Other signs and symptoms are weight loss, facial edema, malaise, bone or joint pain, growth restriction, dryness or itching of the skin, bruised skin, sensory or motor loss, sometimes an amenorrhea, which is common in adolescent girls. Uremic syndrome that is untreated include anorexia, nausea, and vomiting, bruises, bloody diarrheal stools, stomatitis, bleeding from lips and mouth, intractable itching, uremic frost, which is deposits of urea crystals on the skin, unpleasant uremic breath odor, deep respirations, hypertension, heart failure, pulmonary edema, and neuroinvolvement, so progressive confusion, dulled sensorium, coma ultimately, tremors, muscular twitching, and seizures. In irreversible renal failure, the goals of medical management are to promote maximum renal function and maintain body fluid and electrolyte balance within safe biochemical limits, treat systemic complications, and promote as active and normal life as possible for the child for as long as possible. School attendance is encouraged as long as the child is able or home tutoring is arranged. Diet regulation is the most effective means short of dialysis for reducing the quantity of materials that require renal excretion. Dialysis and transplantation are the only treatments currently available for children with end-stage renal disease. That is it for chronic kidney disease. Hope you enjoyed!